Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Made for More podcast. Today I am interviewing a fellow Adelaidean, Simone Douglas. If you in Adelaide or South Australia, you will no doubt have uh, heard of Simone. She is prolific when it comes to doing some really cool stuff in the hospitality industry, particularly around reducing patron ratio to square meterage. But Simone is the publican and licensee of the Duke of Brunswick in the city, the driving force behind South Australia's leading digital marketing agency, Social Media AOK. She's the executive director director rather for BNI Adelaide North and a best-selling author with her first book, Seriously Social, Turning Your Online Game into Real World Gain, and her second book, The Confident Networker, times published author. She also hosts her own weekly radio show called Seriously Social, which is circulated to 160 countries worldwide on international business growth radio. Simone is also the Deputy President and the State Chapter Committee for the Franchise Council of Australia and serves as serves on the Franchise Advisory Council and the Marketing Advisory Council for the BNI. With a slew of awards under her belt, she is a firm believer in being all you can be and living an unapologetic life. Today, she shares with us her journey and what she thinks is going to take what she thinks it's going to take to rewrite the story that maintains the status quo for challenging yourself first. As you can probably tell by the intro, Simone has a lot of free time. Just kidding. She didn't. So I was so happy to be able to uh, have this chat with Simone and we talk, you know, all things leadership, what different types of uh, teams she's had to build on the over time and how she's got to where she is right now. She is truly an inspiring leader, an inspiring woman and, you know, an Adelaidean that you must follow if you haven't yet. If you like today's episode, make sure you give it a uh, review. And of course, you can download all the show notes at madeformore.com.au forward slash 26 or 26 to find more information about Simone. Let's dive in. You're going to love it. Welcome to the Made For More podcast. I'll be sharing my experiences along with some actionable advice to take your leadership to the next level. Introducing your host, it's me, Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership and courageous conversations expert, a Nutella lover, a mother of four young boys, a wife, and a dance floor junkie. I'm here to give you the motivation you need to level up, lead yourself, lead your team, and your business. Let's go. Hello and welcome to today's episode on the podcast. I'm very excited to have joining with me today a very a special guest and fellow IBGR or International Business Radio co-host, Simone Douglas. Hello, Simone, and welcome. Thanks, Ali. Thanks for having me. It's quite funny, isn't it, when I think about how you and I met, it's the, yeah. the power of, of of LinkedIn and networking and I ended up on your podcast and before we know it, we are now part of this international global network, which is the international radio show, which is super fun, but there's so many other things that you do. So before we get too far into all of that today, Mm -hmm. I would love it if you could just give me or give our listeners a little bit of a background of where you've come from and where you're going. 
Okay. I don't think I have a Cliff Notes version of this, so we'll see how we go. So I started in hotel management in my 20s. So I used to be a fix-it specialist for Australian Leisure and Hospitality Group when it was owned by Fosters and then when it was owned by Woolworths. So I used to go into broken pubs and fix the culture and catch the thieves and sort out the marketing. And I did that for about nine years. And then when I had my eldest, Hunter, so he's 13 now, but when he was born... They wouldn't let me come back part-time in that role. So it was before part-time positions and maternity leave were really in vogue and it was like if you're not prepared to work the 70 hours a week that you were working pre-children, then you need to choose something else. So I got out of that position, but I think that's a blessing in disguise really because it set me on my journey of doing all sorts of different things. I then helped my mum was starting a registered training organisation and she doesn't really do bureaucracy. So I did their application for registration and all of their amendments and their marketing while they got going while I was on maternity leave. And then I, while I was doing that, I did a diploma in transpersonal counselling. So I had my own counselling practice for about five years. And in between times, I did a lot of work in registered training as a compliance officer for an international college and then got out of all of that, started Social Media AOK, which is my digital marketing agency. So I had that for eight and a half years. And then about three and a half years ago, I found a pub by accident. I was looking for office space for the social media agency and came across the Duke of Brunswick Hotel. So ended up taking that on. So we've had that for three and a half years. And about two years into that, um, the national director of BNI Australia said that the local franchisee in South Australia wanted to split the franchise and sell um, half of it off. And did I want to buy it? And I said at the time, I said, oh, I really can't write this second. You know, like it was keeping me up at night. But I'm like, I don't have the energy or the bandwidth to invest in it properly. So I'm going to have to say no. And he came back and said, oh, it's okay. We'll wait until you're ready to say yes, which never yeah. happened with a business deal. But that's kind of how that panned out. Yeah. Um, so six months later, I had the team in place with the pub where I could see light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And so Alex and I decided to buy the BNI franchise. And then last year I wrote two books and released oh them. God. Yeah. I, I got to cancel two book launches thanks to COVID as well. So both of my book launches tied in with local outbreaks, which meant that you couldn't oh, man. people in a room. And then, yeah, found IBGR. God, it's a season and a half now. So 15 weeks ago or so, started having the weekly radio show as well. So, yeah. Holy smokes. To talk about being uh, prolific, holy heck, that's a, that's a bit of an understatement. So let's back up a little bit. So you started your career as a fix-it specialist, which has piqued my interest. So you went into pubs and essentially was were a fixer. Yeah, so turned them around. So generally... What happens is sometimes when managers have been in a venue for a long time, they get very comfortable. Yep. Bad habits sometimes creep in. You'll have, mm. you might have people who are stealing from the business but they haven't been caught because the person in charge isn't paying attention. Mm. Uh, like a negative customer culture can also be quite dangerous. So people are coming to work but they don't want to be there but it hasn't occurred to them that they have a choice. Mm. So I used to come in and spend time turning all that around. And it's a really easy way to start the process. I used to get everyone, I'd have a staff meeting my first week 
uh, get everyone in a room and I'd go get, I want all of you to write me a letter and I want it on my desk within three days. And the letter needs to tell me three things. Number one, why do you choose to work at this hotel? Because you have a choice. You wake up every single day and you make a choice to work here instead of the hotel down the road or up the street. So Mm -hmm. why do you choose to come here? And then number two, what is the one thing that you love about working here that you don't want to see change and why don't you want it to change? And then what is the one thing that you hate about working here that you you really want to change and how would you fix it? So what's your solution for me as to how you would fix it? And so what would generally happen is within about a week, anyone that needed to resign worked out that they were making the choice to be there. So they'd leave because they'd go, well, actually, I don't want to choose to work here anymore. I want to work somewhere else, which took care of a lot of it. And then I got some really good intel on what were the not negotiables that I shouldn't touch that would break what was left of the culture and also how to fix the things that were broken because the staff that were in the business already knew what the problem was and how they could fix it. They just hadn't been empowered to do it. So it worked really, really well. Wow, that is awesome. And I think the power of self-reflection is just such an amazing gift and we spend so much time not thinking about thinking, right? That's cool. I love that. And did you find that people having that time to reflect, you said it gave you kind of an insight into what to keep and what to get rid of, but did it also help other people accept their own responsibility for, I guess, the roles they were playing uh, to attribute to that kind of culture? Yeah, I think it did because once they'd given me that letter, I'd have a follow-up one-to-one meeting with them and it was always about just that the conversation about well how do you feel like you're negatively contributing to this or positively contributing to this and what are the things that you're prepared to change about your own behavior to make it a better work environment and a better customer environment so Mm -hmm. yeah the team that I got left with whoever stayed was highly invested you know and had bought into what it was that we were trying to create so it meant you could have very different conversations with them did you find you did that when you um, brought into the Duke of Brunswick as well? Did you carry over a team or did you build a brand new team? So the Duke of Brunswick, we built a brand new team because when I found it, it was there was the owners of the business and mm-hmm. two other staff and that was they, that was oh, the micro. only people that were employed. It was tiny yeah. um, and they only turned over about $5,000 a week in revenue. Yeah. So, yeah. And in the first year we went from effectively four staff to 10 and and we grew up from five thousand to eighteen thousand dollars a week and then when we went gluten-free two years ago we took that from 18 to more like 30 35 thousand dollars a week pretty much overnight so we're a really big team now (laughs) compared to yourself and do you think going gluten-free when we talk in, in business around, you know, niching? Yeah. So did you become now known as being gluten-free, the gluten-free pub to go to? Yeah, we're the only pub in Australia that's accredited gluten-free by the Celiac Society. So oh, wow. our kitchen's 100% gluten-free and we've gone through audits and we've had to send food off to laboratories to validate the fact that it's gluten-free. So yeah. that niching, niching's a really powerful thing if you can identify it and do it well yeah it you know so the Duke of Brunswick is a great case study on that because we literally went from doing 350 meals a week to a thousand meals plus a week overnight and that didn't change that stayed like that you know we're now two and a half 
years in and it just continues to grow because we have people coming from all around the country and from, you know, you know, from Gawler or the Barossa all the way into the city. So driving for an hour, two hours to come and have a schnitzel. Because a gluten-free schnitzel. Yeah. Amazing. So for those of the, of, uh, of the listeners that are in Adelaide, where can they find the Duke of Brunswick? Do they need to book in? Are you fully booked or can they walk in? What do they need to do? It pays to book to be on the safe side. So we're on Gilbert Street in the city. So like in the, what do you call it, the southwest corner, I think, if I've got that right. Yeah. But, yeah, we open, you know, seven days and the kitchen's open, you know, lunch and dinner seven days. But we are really popular and we have great function spaces as well. And we're kind of known for catering to really difficult dietary requirements as well. So you'll have that thing of, you know, I've got a little girl that comes in with her family for all their family dinners who will tell me she's allergic to life. So she has an A5 double-sided laminated card that lists all the things that will kill her if she eats them. And so we take that into the kitchen and the boys will prepare her like lunch or dinner. And the feedback we get is people come back because we don't consider them an inconvenience just because they have an allergy. Mm. our job to serve that's what our job is and Mm. we're grateful that they choose to give us their money and come into our venue and so yeah yeah. it's interesting isn't it over time how I think we're becoming more and more aware and more and more tolerant to people's in uh, food intolerances but it's very rare that people have to go looking for restaurants that are so I guess ready and able to recognize that this is a real real issues for some people especially if you've got you know young children that perhaps can't Mm. even often experience the experience eating out with their family and, and yep. getting to celebrate birthdays. I think that's, yep. you know, when we get down to that that heartfelt stuff, that's amazing that you're able to offer that type of opportunity to those Yeah, kids. and I think it gives people back with kids, it gives them back the family dinner yeah. in terms of going out, being able to order anything off the menu and then being able to try stuff off their parents' plates. without going oh no that's going to make me sick and that's going to make me sick and I'm only allowed to eat what's in front of me so yeah it it is really gorgeous because little kids are like are you sure I can have the fish and chips mum are you sure I can have the hamburger or whatever it is and that's that's my favorite bit about is when little kids come in and they're all excited oh that is awesome I don't know we're going to go down that path, but that's really interesting. If we go back a little bit, so you started social media A-OK about eight and a half years ago. So, I mean, it's hard to remember a world without social media and it having such the huge impact that it does. Mm -hmm. But if we go back down memory lane to eight and a half years ago, um, thinking about what what you're seeing in the social media sense, Facebook was definitely around, maybe not so much Instagram. Yeah, I think you had LinkedIn. I think Google Plus was just coming in and that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, I wrapped that up last year or the year before. But it was I, w- I was managing a registered training organisation at the time and it was a small RTO. So I was writing and facilitating programs on social media for small business, as you do, yeah. um, and getting lots and lots of people coming in the door who were being held to ransom by agencies. So the agency had gone and set up their Facebook page And back then there was a thing that was all the rage, it was static iframes and tabs on your pages. So it was a bit of custom code basically through a third-party app, which most of the business owners out there didn't really understand and so couldn't access and couldn't edit and the agencies will go, you need to keep paying me because X, Y and Z. So originally social media AOK started as a training business 
yeah. that was let me empower you as a business owner to do it yourself and mm-hmm. I'll show you how to take your pages back and how to make the most of them and tell you stories. So I launched, I think, Saxon, my youngest, was three at the time. So I had Hunter was must have been like five or six. And so it was just one of those things. I didn't want to manage RTOs anymore. They were asking me to do the sales side of things as well as the admin side of things, and I was never going to be home. So I just decided it would be easier if I just consulted. Mm-hmm. And I picked up, you know, my first client was a Aussie mortgage broker who was like, can you set up my page and just post all my content for me? So that's how that started. Yeah. And then four months later, sorry, three months into that, I found BNI. So I joined a BNI chapter. Yeah. And so, which it was great because I got referrals. So I was a one-man band. I didn't have time to go out prospecting everywhere because I had the kids and like a husband at the time that I was meant to keep entertained and, you know, whatever else. So BNI helped find the referrals. I didn't have time to look for myself Yeah. to a point that I think four months in, I rang my then husband and said, I need you to quit your job. I need you in the business full time. I can't keep up with demand and everything that I'm doing. So he quit and came into the business. And then and we worked like that quite successfully for about three years until I decided I didn't want to be married anymore. And then I had to buy him out of the business because the accountant had given him 50% of it. So, yeah, it's fascinating. But just watching the evolution so social, the landscape changed so rapidly, like every mm-hmm. couple of months but hospitality had really taught me to adapt to change quickly. Mm-hmm. So you just roll with the punches and it's like, well, okay, this is changing. What do I need to understand about this landscape now? What do I need to do in order to make the most of it? And in doing that, it meant that we just bolted on services as the landscape continued to evolve. So we'd start to do advertising, we'd write LinkedIn profiles, we'd write marketing strategies around the social media platforms. Yeah. But at its centre, it was always about storytelling and connecting humans to humans. So the big mistake everyone makes with digital marketing is they take a bit of a rack and stack approach. So they go, I'm going to do five posts a week. It's going to be these kinds of posts. And there's no human contact. So there's no connection. There's no insight into who these people are that you're doing business with. Yeah. Wow. I've got so many questions and not enough time. So what do you think, you know, you've seen such an evolution in terms of social media and I think a lot more businesses are now getting on the bandwagon or getting on board, I should say, actually, with personal branding and the importance to, you know, know, like and trust the people that you uh, or your customer is going to buy from. What do you think about some of these new social uh, media platforms that have bubbled to the surface? You know, TikTok, huge, Clubhouse that's come out and I think it's only come out this year. Yeah. What, what are you seeing? What's your predictions? Uh, I think it's going to depend on your market. There are so many niche platforms now too, though. So if I look at, and this is where it becomes really handy having kids because you look at what they're doing mm-hmm. and, you know, a large chunk of the real estate they're playing with is stuff that we don't even understand. So, you know, there are Discord servers where there are whole conversations happening around gaming and podcasts and that kind of culture or um, Twitch, lots of like the younger people of today, you know, they're on Twitch instead. I think Clubhouse has the potential to be massive. I'm kind of playing around with it at the moment. I can't decide whether it's a distraction or something beneficial. There's anecdotally a lot of people overseas getting benefit in terms of driving people to other platforms. Yeah, TikTok's an interesting one. So I've seen a lot of people get a lot of reach but not necessarily translate into dollars in the bank. And I think that that's 
you know, sometimes you have to really evaluate how much time, resources and dollars do you have to put into these things. We can't all be the Gary Banachucks or the Kerwin Rays that have a film crew follow you around like every day and yeah. literally create all your content for you. If we could, we could all do all the things that they do, which is yeah. you know, definitely a great idea if you've got the time and the bandwidth. But I think I don't... Facebook is here to stay, but it will keep evolving. And I think mm -hmm. you have to start having, you know, direct messaging platform strategies. So whether it's WhatsApp, whether it's Messenger or LinkedIn Messenger or, you know, the likes of Clubhouse, it gets to a point where personal branding is really the key bit. It's like I want to do business with Ali. I don't want to do business with Made for More. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? It doesn't yeah. matter how big you get. And I think I'm I'm in that position to a degree where I've kind of, but Tamara, my general manager for social media AOK, we've spent the last three years building her personal brand to a point that we're on even footing. So nice. people equate the two of us with the business. Yeah. So they're happy to speak to either of us. But that was a three-year exercise of going, you know, joint meetings or Tamara doing presentations instead of me and yeah. building her credibility in the marketplace. Yeah, and I think that's such an important takeaway for um, business owners as well. As we grow, you still need to be realistic around how how much FaceTime, like, yes, you might be the face of your business, but how much in terms of delivery and showing up can you do and uh, start strategizing, I guess, putting the framework in place early on to be able to transition someone else into that, you know, it, whether they're the face of the business or whether you're the joint face of the business so that yeah. you can sustain that demand. Speaking of socials, and this is something I am yet to come up against, but what kind of parameters or uh, boundaries do you put in place for, you know, your kids or making sure you don't end up down, you know, a LinkedIn or Stories, yeah. Facebook black think, hole because it's easy to get in there and stay in there it is easy to get in there and stay in there I'm probably the worst example because it's my life so I live there <laughs> and I really don't have boundaries in terms of you know people contacting me people can message me all hours of the day but I think that's more reflective of my personality and my personal drive yeah in that you know I'll take my time out when I want to take it out but you yeah. know the rest of the time message me all you like I definitely with the kids, it's, it's massively difficult because they grew up on the technology. So I've just given my 13-year-old a phone because he's in high school this year. Yeah. And you think that that was reasonably straightforward. I'm like, here are the rules. Only be friends with people that you've met or that I'm okay with. You know, only use your phone until 9 o'clock, then hand it over when you go to bed. Reasonably straightforward. And it is until you get the notifications that they've signed up for a Twitter account, an Instagram, a TikTok, or this or that, the other. You know, like he's got more social media accounts than I have. Yeah. And, you know, all I can do is have, well, I, I could be, you know, the overbearing parent, go delete all those things and, you know, that's not okay. But I think you're far better off starting a dialogue with them around protective behaviours online and what to be aware of and, you know, the fact that people don't always present themselves in an honest way as to who they are or what they're all about. And it's the same for normal people. No one on Facebook is putting up, you know, that they were in the fetal position on the floor this morning mm. going, I don't know how to cope with all of the things. And I think often I'm very aware that people will look at my social media channels and go, how does she do all of the things that she does? So I try and make sure that when I'm having a bad day and I want to build a blanket for or something that I put that on there so people go, oh, yeah, so she has shit days too. 
Yeah, I think exposing the the other side of the highlight reel is so important in this day and age because it's easy to think that that is people's real life and we kind of yeah. get this comparison syndrome and before you know it, you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm not, I thought I was killing it and now I'm not, but being yeah. really aware of, I guess, the perception that you're portraying, particularly if you're in a space of influence and and leadership. Yeah. So we haven't actually talked about BNI and I don't know a lot about BNI. I know that for some people love it, some people hate it. I know some people kind of think multi-level marketing mm-hmm. or L- MLM. Yeah. So please explain this world of BNI and how you found your way into it, how you found yourself leading north of the river yeah. and what it, what it's all about. So Business Network International is a global membership organisation, basically. So there's no kickbacks. It's not like if you sponsor someone and you don't get a cut of their membership fee. So it's not really multi-level marketing. We have some multi-level marketing people as members in some chapters, but basically what BNI is is a, a chapter, which is a mini chamber of commerce is the easiest way to explain it. There can only be one member per professional classification. So you can only have one family lawyer, you can only have one accountant, one web developer, and you meet 48 weeks of the year. So you catch up and you deliver a weekly presentation about who it is that you need an introduction to this week to help you achieve your business goals. So you might ask for an introduction to someone that can refer you work regularly or a business that you've noticed could use some help. And it works on the principle that you're not selling to the room. So it's not the 30 people in the room that you're trying to get to buy your product or service because none of us want to get up early in the morning to be sold to. But you're selling to the networks that sit behind the person that holds that seat. And when people can figure that out and really get their head around it, that's when it really works. So I found being my business was three months old, the first one. And I'd started social media AOK on a credit card and a prayer, as you do, with like mortgages to pay and stuff. And I got invited along and, and the chapter had done $980,000 in closed business in the room amongst each other. And that was like, I think it would have been August. So they were eight months into the year. So it's not too bad. Over eight months, 30 people had passed nearly a million dollars in business to each other that they wouldn't have had. Uh, and so, yeah, I was like, I would like a piece of that money. I can make friends. Can How much is this going to cost me? And, of course, there's a price tag. There's a membership fee. So it's um, $1,089 is your annual membership fee in, in South Australia and as well as an admin fee, just like when you join a gym and you've got to jump on, you know, a system and they've got to put you through all of the admin side of things. So I think the first year membership is $1,584. So, but the beauty of BNI is it's structured networking. So you actually report on all of your activities. So when I pass a referral to you and a referral is this person's expecting your call, they know what you're calling them about. They know that you want to talk to them about business. So I'll put a referral in, you'll get a notification on the app that says, Ali, Simone has referred you to this person. Here's the backstory. Here's their contact details. Give them a call. And then when you, when that turns into business and you invoice it, then you put in thank you for closed business into the app for me. So we track how much money you give. We don't track how much money you receive. You can see that, but I can't see that, if that makes sense. So I think in the seven and a half years that I was a member before I bought the franchise, I passed $1.27 million in thank you for closed business to my chapter members. So it's about... Holy smokes. Yeah. And it's just, it's just about... 
If you are naturally a problem solver and you like to connect people to people to solve problems, then BNI is super easy. And I'm that person. I'm like, let me fix your problems. I've got a person that is good at it. Yeah. And the thing that I teach all my members is you really only have one job. Yeah. If you get a referral, your job is to make the person that referred you look good. Yeah. And sometimes that means turning down the work. If you get a referral and it's not the right fit for you, then you go back to the member and you go, look, I really appreciate it, but I wasn't the best person, but I referred them on to this person who can actually do what they need. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, when it works, it really works, but it's a system like anything and you have to apply it and put in the work to build the relationships. Yeah. Amazing. No, I have heard about BNI, but never have I gone looking for it. So you manage BNI, the franchise, you also run social media AOK, you've got the Brunswick Hotel. Yep. Some of these are not like the other. How do you go managing? And I imagine that social media AOK attracts a different type of uh, firstly clients and then yep. your team is a different skill set to those that are working at the Brunswick Hotel and the customers yep. you're serving there versus yep. uh, who's being attracted to BNI. How do you go managing such an eclectic group of, I guess, teams, businesses, yeah. personality styles, drivers, it, gosh. Yeah. It comes down to you really do need to distill what you're all about and your story for each business. So, you know, social media, A-OK, the guys are really clear. You know, we're a fun, flexible and fluid agency providing honest and authentic solutions for our clients. So that's our job is to spend our clients' money the way we would spend our own. So we take it very seriously. We'll often recommend against things if we don't think they'll get the return for it or there's a better way to do that. And the team all understand, you know, what the core ethics are that every team member has to have. So we get together as a team once a year and we redefine those or agree on them for the next 12 months. But then we also agree that I can't recruit anyone that doesn't have all six of those core values. So if they don't have those, then I can't, I'm not allowed to bring them into the team because it breaks the team. So they can be missing skills, but they can't be missing the values. And so that works really, really well. And then the pub's the same. So the pub has a six word story, which is the outside world doesn't matter here. So our job is to pull people into a world that's like their second lounge room where absolutely who they are as a human being is okay and they're enough and they feel valued and that's if we do that everything else is fine so but likewise they've gone through the whole exercise of well what what are we all about and what values and core ethics does every team member have to have yeah and then bni is a bit different because that's the newest business so it's mostly me leading that with a very small team right now about two years two years away from having the team that I need to build, Um, a lot of training involved in that. But likewise, it will have a similar vision. All of them are successful because the people are the most important thing. It's not the dollar signs. It's not what we achieve for them. It's the person in and of themselves is the most important thing in front of me. So how do I make sure that they know that? Yeah. Wow, and it always comes back to the people, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. So before we wrap up, what would be your top five tips for up-and-coming leaders or new leaders or perhaps, you know, someone's like, I really have this opportunity to buy a brand-new business outside of my regular area of expertise. What's your top five tips? Um, My top five tips, I suppose the first one is live and die by your diary. So everything that you have to do, 
put it in your diary and that means you know my weight training goes in there you know if I'm going for a morning walk if it's food prep plus all my appointments so it's in the diary it has to happen so if my alarm goes off at six o'clock and I'm meant to be in the gym then I get up and I go to the gym that's it yeah and then I guess my other one is I have this really carefully constructed happy bubble, which is a bit weird. So Tell you know me about your weird happy bubble. <laughs> <laughs> my whole morning and evening routine is geared around setting me up for success. So right. I don't watch TV in the morning. So I don't, you know, like look at the news and things like that. I put on music that's designed like that has a certain cadence or rhythm that's designed to just get me quite calm. You know, no one's allowed to talk to me before I've had my morning coffee. That's kind of a thing. And then we have a whole routine in the morning with the kids as well so that I'm not nagging them and yelling at them to get ready and those kinds of things because that just spoils the moment. And then at night when I wind down, I know that I need to be like in bed by 9.30 at the latest, that I need to listen to, you know, my sleep meditation app or a YouTube video to download. So it's all Mm -hmm. about, you know, like so ramping up in the morning and downloading at night. Yeah. And then my tip number three would be I always do. So for the three businesses that I've got, I have to do two things for every business every day that moves me forward, like towards the goals. And I'm not allowed to check out until I've done that. So if that means I have to send a quote, you know, and spend an extra half hour at night once the kids go to bed doing a quote because I haven't like done those two things. Yeah. So and I think just it's really, I, you know, the last one is keep your promises. So yeah. people will trust you if you keep your word yeah. and it's not enough to, it's not good enough to say that you ran out of time yeah. or that you were too busy. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm like people think I'm ridiculously busy, but I'm not. I'm living the life that I wanted to live and I've created that and it's buzz. So yeah. it's not, there's nothing strenuous about that. Yeah. But I'd try not to break my word. And if I do, then I will fall on my sword and absolutely own the fact that I failed to deliver on something that I said I would, even if it's, like, small. Yeah. I think taking responsibility for yourself in that way is just such a good, I mean, obviously it's awesome for clients, but it's such a good role model as well for leading your teams to accept responsibility and, you know, do what you say you're going to do. Yeah, and own it when you stuff up too. Like, I've made enough mistakes where I've gone, yeah, that's my bad. Yeah. So when, when the team does it, like we had a little incident, uh, well, not so little, and a client's ad spend was going through my Amex because they'd put my Amex on the account temporarily. So the staff member thought they'd taken my Amex off the account and put the client's card on the account, but I hadn't. And I, I just said, oh, can I have a reconciliation on my Amex card for the last three months? And it's like we had, they had to go back to the client and go explain they hadn't paid their ad spend bill for three months, which was, you know, Oops. It was fine. They were, you know, they owned it and apologised and the, the client paid, thankfully, so I didn't have to get too upset. But nice. Mm. Oh, my goodness. So good. And you've got two books that were launched last year but missed the book launch, but people can still get them online. Yeah. Yeah, yeah when they go for that. Yeah. So Seriously Social, which is all about the humanistic approach to social media marketing, so how to do it in a way that connects. And Confident Network is all about how I built the networks that I've got that allow me to do all the things I get to do, basically. So it's a practical like how-to guide on how to do that. How to build a network. Hmm. Amazing. Well, congratulations on a two-time published book author. 
pretty amazing to be able to squeeze all of that in amongst everything else that you do. And thank you so much for sharing uh, your time and wisdom to our listeners. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Ali. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode on the Made For More podcast, please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes. And of course, five-star reviews are always welcome on the Apple podcast. If you'd like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today, check out madeformore.com.au forward slash podcast. And of course, if we aren't connected already, you can find me in all the usual places. Ali Nitschke on LinkedIn, ali.madeformore on Facebook and Instagram. I hope you have an awesome week and I'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye.